0: I've known Jerry Jones for a while. No, I'm not talking about that Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, but rather this Jerry Jones, who's far less famous, who has been a longtime expat for over a decade and a half. I first met him a few years ago at a Families and Global Transition Conference, where we hit it off immediately and ended up having some really great conversations around the expat experience. The awesome thing about him is that he's generally not afraid to have difficult discussions. Jerry, who is an intercultural consultant, spends much of his time helping expats transition and unpack whatever has unknowingly creeped into their proverbial suitcases as they navigate whatever international adventure has called them. As you can imagine, when you start talking to people about their stereotypes and assumptions, it can make for some uncomfortable discussions. On his own blog, Jerry has written about white expat privilege and racism, and we decided to continue the conversation here on the podcast. Jerry is the father of two adopted children of color, so for him, these aren't the topics you can really avoid. In this episode, we discuss the challenges he's seen new expats have when confronting their own bias. The difficulties of talking privilege with those who have it and his sensitivity to discussing racial injustice with his own children as a white father. And I'll tell you now, it took us two episodes to do it, but it was completely worth it. Welcome to The Global Chatter. Jerry Jones, welcome to The Chatter. How are you? Oh,
1: man, I am so good. Thank you, Amanda, for having me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this.
0: Man, I was thinking about, um, oh, so I was washing dishes, and I was thinking about how that's we first best, met. That's when your best
1: thinking comes. <laughs> yeah. And I,
0: I remember how we first met, and it all, as all good things, it seems, uh, families and global transitions.
1: <laughs> yes, that's
0: right. I've met a lot of people with FIGT, and... I remember you coming up to me and you going, the black expat. And I I remember laughing (laughs) because shockingly, that's not the only time that happens to oh, me. And sure. you know, my first I'm thought sure. is <laughs> my, my, my the... thought is well, there are millions of them. Yeah,
1: <laughs> right. Right right. But you are the black expat. Right? I like am that. the I am <laughs> you, the you,
0: only you, one in, in a planet of almost a billion people. You, and the funny you, part is I was one then, but I am not right? one now. <laughs> and right? So yeah. And so, yeah.
1: Oh. But, Define expat.
0: Uh, no, right? and I but I you know well, you know we haven't listed on our website for anyone who's ever confused. Right. We, we right. have a whole definition, especially the the I think the politicalness of the term, but uh, yeah. yeah but I remember um, but what I do remember is that after after that initial introduction that I, and I believe it was in the Netherlands. So I can't remember if it was the Hague or Amsterdam. Yeah, yeah, I feel Hague. like mm-hmm. it was the Hague, mm-hmm. um, that we had this really good conversation kind of following up in terms of the work that you do and, and yeah. so sort the of stuff that I do with the black expat. And so obviously that has led to a very entertaining, <laughs> yet amusing, I think relationships since yeah, then. So yeah, it's been I'm, good I'm,
1: so far I'm and grateful I'm grateful to
0: more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Me too. So,
0: all right. So for the people who don't know you, you are not a head football coach or
1: owner. Owner. None of that. None of that. But I do get I do get his um, I get like tweets and Facebook messages um, directed Uh, towards the real Jerry Jones. (laughs) Nice. Often, um, especially when he's in hot water. He's done something big in the news.
0: Nice. I, I bet you get all the hate, so that's got to be wonderful. <laughs> hate
1: or love, like there's it's split right down the middle. They either love love me or hate me.
0: And so, while you are not in football, I think it's I think it's important for folks who who don't know you, um, for you to give a little bit of your backstory. And so, you know, we are the global chatter, so we like to start at the beginning. So, at the beginning, did you grow well. up? Even though. You're a seasoned expat where where'd you grow um, up and and
1: how'd you get overseas? Yeah, I grew up in a in a cornfield in <laughs> central illinois United States um right in the middle, very rural, very. Uh, very monocultural, like like extremely monocultural, uh, and, Mm -hmm. and yet always had this, this thing in me that was, uh, driven towards global things. I remember dreaming about the world that I hadn't seen yet and, and it seemed so far off and impossible. Uh, and then went to college, uh, uh, met a woman, got married and she had been around the world a little bit. Uh, she, she had spent some time in, uh. I think in the Ukraine and uh, Taiwan and the two of us after we were married, uh, we were still in college, did a a college internship in Taiwan, spent about six months there. Uh, And that's when I really got a taste for overseas life and especially Asian culture and, and really fell in love with it. And, and so then a few years later we we moved to China and spent uh, most of the last 14 years there actually just, just, came out this summer there was in the middle of that there was a repatriation and and expatriate i don't the, the, you mentioned for people who are confused i am among the people who are confused because i don't even know what to call myself at this point so anyway 2020 hit um we we left china we moved to malta which was big and exciting and new and gonna be this great amazing thing and and that lasted about three months so we have, we've had two international moves in 2020 of all years and uh and for right now we're we're back in the states we're kind of regrouping and and figuring things out uh but i i, I like to consider myself a global person uh i anticipate uh more interaction with the globe throughout the years but um it's a, it's a it's a wild ride
0: and so I think what's what's really cool is that you know you know I was a TCK so I grew up around folks who were always in flux and moving. Right. I always think it's really interesting um, talking to folks who become expats who they enter that world but they didn't grow up that world as children, yeah. especially someone yeah. who's raising children. And so, what do you think was really? What did, I guess. Because you especially do intercultural work, what do you think mm-hmm. was really interesting that maybe you remember from your career, throughout your career, that you kind of noticed that was different as someone who grew up in one place and then all of a sudden you're in this place where <laughs> there's a lot of change, right. there's a lot of things different from the Midwest, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it's it's so interesting, the, uh, the dynamic of... Of transition and shifting from one thing to another, and, and a lot of times I catch myself speaking as if it is the uh, the normal experience, moving from one place and coming into another, and all of the all of the feels, you know, all of the uh, the big gaps and, and changes and challenges, uh, and and sometimes I forget that there are people who've been doing this their entire lives. And, and the more I've, I've worked with those people and worked in that, in that world, in that space. um, Yeah. There's such a diverse group of interactions with intercultural things, right? Like there's um, we're, we're all processing this based on what, what we were packed with when we were young. Uh, And, and I've had the, like, I love to speak. I love to speak to it like a group of people. And um, and this is another reason I'm really sick of 2020 is because I, I really hate digital stuff. No offense right now. I, I'm enjoying talking to you, but I'd much rather be sitting in a coffee shop with Wait. you anywhere in the world right. uh, and talking face to face. But I love a group of people. Uh, who is right on the edge and just has no idea what to expect and is looking forward to that. And like those those are my people. And uh, I really enjoy working with them because there's so uh, there's so many questions and so much confusion. And I love to, uh-huh. to shed some light on that. And I also um, love I love it when I have a group of those people and then a sprinkling of people of TCKs people who have done this and are about to do it again or, you know, whatever the situation is. But, um, because then I, I love playing one off the other and drawing from the wisdom of one side. And, and, and sometimes there's like, there's, there's beautiful wisdom in the people who are just like deer in the headlights, right? Like, um, sometimes people who have done this their whole life can, can really draw out some, some beautiful things from them, uh, because it's been so long because, or, or it's been forever. Like they've never, or they don't remember those feelings, and there and there's some there's some genius in there. There's some some really great wisdom to, that comes out of everybody in the game.
0: And so I'm really curious because as you you know you've described you coming from a monocultural background. <laughs> um, in my mind, I'm like, this sounds like it's completely white bread. Um, but, <laughs> oh. but but yeah. Yeah. but how does. Then I guess what triggered your interest in doing intercultural work? And I think even for those who don't know what that is, can you sort of define what it is and what, why did you step into that in terms of as a profession and a career?
1: Yeah, I, uh, for me, it was, it's been kind of an evolution over my cross-cultural experience. and So I uh, went to China to really connect wow. with Chinese people and, uh, and, and started off teaching I- I- intercultural things um it was like a cross cultural communication class with a with a group of chinese professionals who were planning to to work abroad and i i really loved that like that was that was really really good but as i continued to work i really started to connect with the with the in china we would call them foreigners um people like us who were who were coming in and working with those people and Uh, and then kind of, uh, through, through my work, uh, got a contract where I worked with an organization and went around to, it was several, a group of international schools. And so I, I was hired to go in and kind of coach their staff as they would transition Mm -hmm. from their experience into, into China. Uh, and then that moved into the UAE and that's opened the doors to a lot of other places and, uh, and I really loved it. Like I, I I realized that I would love kind of the, it, it felt like an expansion of what I had come because all of those people came with the same ideas and notions that I came in with. And I got to sit and unpack that and, and kind of unlock their mm-hmm. experience. And I thought if I can, if I can help these people do well, if I can help these people move, uh, move through the the initial <laughs> stages and and do their thing well. Then, mm-hmm. um, then that's even better than doing my thing well, and then that became my thing. Uh, I and I, <laughs> I love that. Um, and and so I like my my genuine hope desire is to is to help other people do their cross cultural thing better, and not, you know, there's there's a lot of variables, a lot of dynamics that are connected yeah. to that. Like I, I want them not to screw it up. Right, I want right. them not to fall apart. I want them not to mess up the culture that they're in and make the stupid yeah. mistakes that uh, that I've made and a lot of people have made. and And um, I want them to stay longer. I want them to do better. and And I so I, I get a lot of energy from that from working with those people. Uh, and not that I don't love working with like when I was in China, I still loved working with Chinese people. I think um, there's there's <laughs> something about the Chinese personality that's a that's a stereotype but um, yeah. but there's something really sweet and genuine and uh, I love crossing cultures. but I think even more I love helping other people cross cultures. What
0: do you think you've seen has been some of the biggest challenges? when folks stepped in into a new culture and I I know, you know, your particular experience has been predominantly in Asia, although I would, Imagine that your work, of course, can go cross-culturally depending on the context or whatever sure. in other spaces. But what have you noticed? And it, you know, whether it was you or some of the right. mistakes you made, or just other folks when they step into a new place, especially right. when they're coming from a Western perspective.
1: Right, right. I, I think I think one of the big things is that people are really caught off guard because their, their preconceived notion of crossing cultures is if I can understand this culture that I'm going into, then I'm good. I'm golden. I'm, I'm going to do well. And they, and they just really get blindsided by the fact that they should have understood themselves a a, a lot better. Um, they, they didn't take into account who they were, who they are under stress, who they are, as they engage some of the, the biases and, and stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of times, um, kind of deep down racial issues that they that they've never come to grips with uh, get stirred up and that gets uh, that gets uncovered in a cross-cultural situation and so people Uh actually um, come face to face with themselves a lot more Uh than they do another culture and if, if they can move past that part of it then they're they're really set up to engage the other culture well but uh-huh. if I don't, uh, then it doesn't matter how much you, you understand China or the Middle East or um, Sub-Saharan Africa, wherever you are. Uh, you, like, you can study those cultures all you want, uh, and you've got good facts in your head. And it yeah. doesn't mean you're set up to do good. It doesn't mean that you're set up to, to not fall apart. And uh, I, I think that's, that's one of the big things that I've just noticed mm-hmm. over and over and over again. <laughs>
0: And so I'm wondering, you know, as you know, someone obviously who has traveled. I've traveled and, and done all the
1: you, things. You have, traveled. You, I that have was, traveled. That was the understatement of the podcast, right there. I have
0: done some <laughs> little travel here or there, uh, but have I, you, you ever you flown know, on I've, a plane? You know, I've been flying for so long. I try to remember. Right? Side note: I try to remember the last, like, the first time, maybe two. Yeah. It could have been earlier, but two, wow. I think is the most definitive I remember, yeah, or wow. at least there was an event that I, I was around to that was on a, and that was, yeah, that might've been international. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, <Wow. laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't even domestic. Yeah. Um, that's the sad part. I don't even think I ever, <laughs> I ever flew, I only flew domestic to fly international, like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> real talk. I know this to sounds to the real as flight. I'll get out. To yeah. so get to the real flight, my first solo flight as an individual was 12 wow. international by myself.
1: Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh,
0: yeah. And uh, so, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. this is mine not about was, me, although I can, Yeah.
1: <laughs> mine ahead. was 18. I was 18 and <laughs> it was a a flight from... Uh, St. Louis to Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was about an hour flight and it was um, the highlight of my life <laughs> at that point.
0: <laughs> I flew from Sub-Saharan Africa to the States <laughs> with a nice shout out, to Luf- shout out to Lufthansa though because so Lufthansa had this great, se- I don't know if it's a secret place. I don't even know if it's a thing anymore because obviously I'm an adult. But for kids who are unaccompanied who are flying right. it was almost like this little Disneyland. So there was a spot in Frankfurt Airport where it was yeah. like food and games and it was like maybe Willy Wonka's chocolate factory in the sense that it was all these kids without parents (laughs) with like (laughs) airline staff who were watching them and then they would call you and you had this thing you know this little bag uh, or satchel that had your ticket and all your information your passport and they would call your name and escort you to your if that's your outstanding flight.
1: so i was that's all my of dream Calgaris. childhood like that's that i i used to like i didn't know it existed when i was 12 but if you would have sold that to me i would have i would have jumped i would have loved it oh. and
0: i flew from africa to north america by myself
1: wow. so i love it yeah
0: so i i can get around a lot of a lot of places and a lot of airports but i i was gonna ask yeah. you um as someone who, you know, we've all, let's just be honest, we've all experienced some kind of stress <laughs> <like> <laughs> doing this thing. Some kind of stress, right? As says the guy who moved two countries yeah. <laughs> in the middle of the I'm worst just, pandemic I'm just to trying to catch up.
1: Nope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think anyone who moved anywhere across borders this year was braver than well, most of the people I know who did it didn't have a choice. <laughs> but yeah. but, yeah. but it was braver than anyone else I know. But you know, one of the things I think I always have conversations with is that, and I think this kind of speaks to your point, is that you can study, you can read, you can think, mm-hmm. you can understand. And even if you're in the case of being an underrepresented minority yourself in whatever community you're in, it does not necessarily mean you also know the experiences of the of the people you're stepping into the space that you're going to. Absolutely. And yeah. I And I always fear that... Sometimes, and this is all of us, we can make all kinds of assumptions, mm-hmm. right? All kinds yeah. of assumptions mm-hmm. about what it is, what it is to be in a space. Because once again, our perspective, a lot of times depends on where we're sitting,
1: right. <laughs> where we've been right. sitting
0: informs how we see the world. And so Absolutely. I think many of us sort of set ourselves up for a little bit of failure, if not catastrophe, because Mm -hmm. we step in and go, well, I already know because I've had (sighs) these experiences or I've read these experiences.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah so much uh, like there's that gap uh, and we fill that gap with whatever we have you know whatever we can come up with we we try to educate ourselves but um Mm -hmm. and and, like that's a conversation that i have a lot is is like not knowing is is not the problem right ignorance even ignorance gets a bad rap but ignorance is just not knowing but as long as you're in the space of confessing your ignorance and realizing it and (laughs) embracing it then you're set up to to ask questions But when you go in and you've whatever you've you've read Lonely Planet or you've YouTube the culture that you're going to, you've binged on whatever you can and you think you've got it figured out then you are set up for disaster because you go in and you're the expert already and come to find out you didn't know all you thought you knew. And, and that, those are the mm-hmm. people that fall apart. Those are the people that I look for coming in. Um, the people who are like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here to save this place. I'm here to I can fix this. I, I noticed that they do this and, and like, what you're going to fix Chinese traffic, right? Like you're gonna, you're going to, uh, you're going to overcome thousands of years of culture because you finally arrived. Um those are the people who really really not only fall apart but do damage as they as they pass through. And um so ignorance is is, uh, is not a bad thing. It's when you don't realize that you're ignorant. Um that's where it all comes from, right? Like that's that's at the heart of of racism and um ethnocentrism <laughs> and all of the bad things. That we Mm -hmm. we typically attach to ignorant. Well, that person is so ignorant. We're we're all ignorant. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's just do you know it or not? That's that's Mm -hmm. where it all comes down to.
0: And do you want to do something about it?
1: Exactly. Right. Exactly.
0: Right. Because, yeah. And I, you know, because you definitely touched on, these are conversations I have all the time, right? Obviously we are both holders of Western passports. Yeah. We have both lived in countries that are Mm non-Western. We already know, at least for those of us who choose to be aware that there is a historical and there's a lot of deep, deep tension and a lot Mm -hmm. of um, just deep wounds there from When you look from a western history standpoint you look at an eastern or a southern history standpoint when you look at and then of course you add sort of the racial component which is a big honestly a big component especially when you're looking at at non-western communities and so one of the things that i you know we are we are looking at 2021 but one of the things that i thought was really interesting when i was thinking about you coming on was thinking about a piece that you actually wrote which mm-hmm. is almost a year ago yeah <laughs> and yeah. i i and there are a couple of things i remember you had sent me an email before it was published that you you said hey just so you know i mentioned the black expat in it and i i'm pretty sure i was highly busy so i was just like whatever whatever it's fine it's yeah, cool. like yeah, and yeah, i, and I would have said no. i was like that's <laughs> good and then i started to get <laughs> all this traffic God bless folks for white people. And I was wow. trying to figure out where all these white people and unless and l- l- anyone hears me and is feels some type of way, the black expat has always had non-black readers, non-black members you know who are part of the audience because right. the infor- like, like there's nothing to hide the information is a conversation and it's right. it's raising visibility it's so, good, so right. Yeah. right so i'm i'm completely cool with the fact that people who aren't <laughs> who don't have a black identity are reading the site right that's right. that's that's cool in fact that's important right it's um, it's so
1: important for us right like it, it's, it's such a good conversation for, yeah 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 right
0: for everyone's there's there's a different reason for every group who reads it why it's yeah, important right. yeah but but when you read a set called the black expat and then you get an influx of white folks <laughs> like an in influx well. <laughs> like in social media and other places and this was before george floyd right so this right. we didn't we didn't yeah. even know what 2020 was going to look like yeah. yeah, I was like, "Where are all these people coming from?" And so, you know, if you run a website, you can see the back end, and it right. was like this piece called "White Expat Privilege," and I mm-hmm. went, "Oh, I should probably read that." And so I so I did. First of all, I was like, "Okay, this is Jerry's site, so I'm good. I'm yeah. good. This is it. This is it. A, a hit piece
1: from somewhere." I, can, God I cannot. I mean, I'd be good with that yeah, I can't vouch for the people who come who to came. your site through mine, but.
0: <laughs> but I could at least be like, well, the person who wrote it, he's a good faith. I'm good. right? And right. so, because uh, I think I even I told you, well, anyway, this, this is a later point. But when, so I, I obviously followed the, the back end of my site. I got to your site and I read it and I thought, well, this has got to be one of the few um, pieces that I've seen that very explicitly talks about white expat privilege because, mm. you know, as someone I have, you know, I've been doing a lot of speaking lately and as someone who obviously TCK as a TCK in sub Saharan Africa, went to international schools. And the thing that I always say is real funny is that Sometimes we sell this expat life, especially in the tighter circles. Is mm. this whole kumbaya? We all get right. along, especially in the international schools. We're like a model mm-hmm. UN, and I'm like, yeah, but people fight in the UN. I don't know why we're saying that. That's right? <laughs> that's the, that's <laughs> what we are. Like, people have nationalistic <laughs> ideas and ideas about who they are and identity. And so, one of the things that I I've you know, and this is part of the reason why the black expat exists is that there's always been I feel this challenge to address. Truly, that there is a privilege and yeah. there is a privilege that is a uh, tied to a lot of things, but a lot of it is race, passport mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um ethnicity
1: class, yeah, yeah. like those absolutely are and absolutely,
0: so, and so I am curious from your point, what was sort of your motivation and and kind of the response to you writing
1: this piece, mm. yeah. Uh for me it's it's uh again all all part of this journey that i'm on because the place that i'm come, i come from um <laughs> excuse me um I, I think not only typically very stereotypically um doesn't recognize the, the privilege that we have but also um it, it gets caught up in the in the broader narrative of of the racial conversation. And so, and because all of this is unfolding and on on a huge scale, on a huge stage, and there's so much kind of vitriolic, um, there's just a lot of pain, right? Like there's a lot of back and forth and a lot of fighting and people who are uh, are just living their lives in their kind of, (laughs) In their in their herd right in their in their group, Um, not only do they not recognize the privilege that they have, uh, but they they get really upset when it's brought up because it feels like the exact same thing as racism. Right, uh, like the the word privilege mm-hmm. feels like an attack, and and racism in itself, mm-hmm. it's like they haven't recognized yeah. their racism either, uh, and I've I've talked about mm-hmm. that some, and that's that's been like when you step out of your herd and you go and you you mix among the other animals, you learn things about your herd and you learn things about yourself, and you learn things about uh, a lot of things that you didn't have access to before, and sometimes that's really hard, that's really mm-hmm. painful, but it has to start with. Uh, with, with just a recognition of what the realities are. And, uh, and so for me, it was, it was unpacking what was inside of myself more than um, pointing a finger, more than uh, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to uncover anything in anybody else, more than jumping into the debate back and forth. It it was, Mm -hmm. it was just saying, yeah, I am so privileged. And, and I have to recognize that. And I have to say it out loud. That's not the same thing as I am racist. That's a, that's a different conversation. Um, and, but probably it opens the door to discover maybe I'm some of that too, right? Like I've got, I've got, I've got lots of issues uh, that were packed into me from my early formative years. Uh, and, and for me, it was, it was, uh, it was never outright. It was never, uh, uh, it was never blatant, uh, so it's nuanced uh-huh. and, and it's harder to, you got to dig a little bit deeper to recognize, oh, there's some stuff in there that I don't <laughs> like. But the very first step is uh-huh. to say, I have access to a lot of things that that people don't have access to because of uh-huh. where I was born and the color of my skin. Uh-huh. And the. Uh, there's so many things that have given me, given me privilege. And for me to keep denying that just closes down the conversation and, and makes this whole thing worse. And so um, that's, that's what I was trying to, to unpack in that. Yeah.
0: I was real curious. Are there just from, and and we'll get into your family in a second, but Mm -hmm. have there been incidents, incidents, (laughs) instances, there's, I'm going, Mm -hmm. that you can remember very explicitly in your years that you've been abroad that you could point, you can pretty much point out and say, There's a privilege that I have. That's why that
1: (laughs) happened to my um, benefit. (laughs) Uh, I had one, this, this one jumps out. I had, I had this recently, um, was standing in, in Malta at the visa services, uh, office and was trying to get some resolution on what we were going to do next. And it was kind of a, uh, like it was, it was a crunch time. Our, our time was running out. We had to make a decision. Are we going to stay? Are we going to go? Uh, I was, I was stressed out and, um, and understandably so. But I went. I went to this office and I got in line, and I was very clearly the um, the, the only. Well, I was the only white person in the line. Uh, most of the people in the line had come to Malta to uh, to work in the service industry. They were. Um, it, well, I mean, I don't. I can't be presumptuous about who all of them were, but I stood out. Uh, and as the person came through the line, uh, it was her job to to kind of filter down the line. And, uh, and so she was, I don't know what the right word is abrasive or she was, she was good at her job, but, um, to to me, she was just mean, like she was, she was just coming through and, and kind of, uh, talking very loudly, very abrasively to people. Uh, and then she got to me and she stopped and she spent, she was still abrasive. She was still very direct. Um, and I didn't end up with any, uh, any extra access but I got I got access to her. Like she stopped and she talked to me and she asked me where I'm from and she she spent so much more time on me than she did anybody else in the line mm-hmm. and it, and it just it really jumped out to me as this experience like that that would not have happened uh, apart mm-hmm. from the color of my skin and the and the the stamp on my passport right like that that was mm-hmm. and and that's a that's a small one and, and I think you know living in China um, and there, there's always this, where are you from? And Oh, America, very good. And and we would have that conversation. Um, and I think my son is, uh, both of my children are adopted. My daughter's Chinese. My son is black. And, uh, and watching the difference between the interaction that China had with me and my children was mm-hmm. powerful for my daughter. It was, uh, who's your mother? Who's your father? Um, uh, she would point to us and, and they would say, oh, that's impossible. Your hair is so black. You look, you look like a Chinese girl, aren't you Chinese? And you know, how's Mm -hmm. she supposed to answer that? Like when she's three years old, how's she supposed to, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of Chinese, but I'm kind of not. And, uh, and, Mm -hmm. and then we would get, we would get lots of, like, we would get into a taxi and, Um, we would say, Hey, ni hao, which is hello. And they would say, Whoa, your Chinese is so good. And then they would talk to my daughter and her Chinese was better than ours. And they would give her a hard time because she didn't speak Chinese at all. And, and so it was like, okay, you, you don't really mean my Chinese is so good. You just mean it's, it's good for the white guy and, (laughs) and you're, you're giving me the privilege of, and, and that's a huge thing like that. That initial interaction with that you have with a, a culture that you're crossing into, how polite they mm-hmm. are, how friendly, they, how accommodating you are, how hospitable, like that, mm-hmm. that changes the whole experience. And so I watched her have that experience. But then my son also like, uh, is this your son? Yeah, this is my son. That's impossible. He's too black. Uh, mm-hmm. And 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 then there were kind of questions and there were there was always a a presumption or an assumption about who he was or where he came from that they had to work through, you know, and that's on them, but they had to work through their stereotypes and assumptions. And it just, it it really showed me that we don't all have the same experience. Being an expat is not the same thing for every person. So that was a, that was a, a really powerful experience.
0: And I and I think that's fascinating, right? Because you you and your wife are obviously in a situation where both of you are white, your kids mm-hmm. are children of color, yeah. <laughs> and, and they and they are different ethnicities from each other. Right. And so I think you Uh, you know, someone who is a white male, you can see, you can actually see this play out in your own family. Like this isn't, uh, you know, hypothetical, I'm reading it or whatever. I'm actually (laughs) seeing this happen. I'm curious though, before we we even get to that part, did you get any, or did you feel any pushback um, against when you were writing about white expat privilege, or even when you talk about it, do you ever get folks who are like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. but... (laughs)
1: yeah yeah yeah, uh, like a little bit and uh just as a disclaimer my my audience is is not so huge that i'm out there in that space that it goes into the place where where all of the all of the the fighting and the and the the big the big stuff happens um but i but i get a, a little bit of pushback for me it's it's more on the uh, on the personal front, the the personal conversations and the the interactions with uh, people where I come from and and especially in a monocultural space um, there 's this misunderstanding i think of of what all of those issues really mean and, and so it leads, it leads to some good heartfelt Conversations. Um, sometimes there's just a complete shutting down of because because they have felt attacked by words like privilege um, and and so it, it leads to an honest conversation about um, how can you how can you possibly deny the reality of of privilege right you you just you have access to a lot of things that people don't have access to and I, I don't I can't see how that's not privilege um, and then from there let's talk about the other stuff right.
0: I think privilege is a really interesting word and you're right. Folks kind of get bent out of shape (laughs) over it, but but (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I I think I am old enough and have lived long enough and thought about it long (laughs) enough to realize there are just some things that you had that you are a beneficiary that you didn't necessarily work for. Some stuff you did, some stuff stuff you didn't, right? So if you are, you know, if you talk about being able-bodied.
1: Yeah, right, right.
0: I mean I think sometimes too because people have such a narrow view of what privilege is.
1: Yeah. But yeah. if you think
0: about just okay you're able bodied you don't have any health ailments you don't have any issues mm-hmm. you're freaking privileged.
1: Oh <laughs> okay. unbelievably so. Just on like just going to the store is a privilege, right? Like You
0: and 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 this is I'm speaking as someone who has a sibling who is who's is physically and mentally has disabilities and challenges mm-hmm. you haven't lived until you figured out you have to map out going to like a so you're going on vacation having to right. map out navigating a wheelchair
1: yeah through goodness. those places oh my yeah right? and this is this is so, what i love um what i what i love about what you're doing is is kind of bringing the complexity of of things like that out because when it's when it only stays in the um, the, you know in the in the social media sphere um, then it's all of the words are completely smashed together and they are um, yeah we we miss the heart of the and the beauty of the complexity and so I, I love hearing you talk about privilege but I'm also willing to say I've got some privileges that you don't have. Right. Like that's that's right. that's absolutely a reality. <laughs> and yeah. I, you know, and I
0: particularly because obviously I, I am a POC and I'm a you know, a woman. But I tell folks all the time, yeah. you know, privilege also can change in circumstances and environments. Sure. So yeah. one of yeah. the one of the conversations I have all the time with folks who are going in, um, particularly from the West, who may be black, who are going to other countries is right. Is that I go, hey. You may not feel like you're privileged in the U S you're going to be hella privileged when you go to certain places like in the Middle East and other places, because you have an American passport, you have a Canadian passport, you Mm -hmm. speak English, you're educated. And so what may be seen as a privilege or, 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 as, um, what's the opposite as, as seen as oppression in one space yeah, can be completely fluid in another space. And right. we all have to own that because we're never, it's, it's a moving, it's always like a moving target. And mm-hmm. so it's never the same from place to place. And I think that's the thing you learn. If you allow yourself to learn it as you go from place to place right. is right. that who you are, which is why I think mm-hmm. what you do is very relevant is that who you are in the U S yeah. may or may not apply in the same way, good or bad. That's in right. a China, in a Ghana, right? In a Belgium, right. like it may not be the same. Right. So, yeah, I mean, privilege, because to me, privilege is like expat. It's a word. Mm-hmm. We all ascribe all these feelings and emotions to it. But the core of the word hasn't changed.
1: Right. You know right. what I mean?
0: Like the actual fundamental, what the word means,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> having a benefit or access, how you got it, whether you right. keep it, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> who perceives exactly. it. That's extra. Yeah. It's just it just is it yeah. is what it is. And so, yeah. you know.
1: And it and it's and so, still attached. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. No. I'm well, I, I'm just it, like it. It strikes me that it is also still attached when you get into all of the uh, the the high tension narrative of of what's unfolding, especially in the United States right now and the UK and uh, kind of the, the refugee situation around the world. Like uh, like privilege is attached there and then that gets expanded. Right. Like that is the that's the <laughs> screaming Narrative, and it should be. It, it absolutely should be. But that's where we hear the word privilege. And so when we step over here to, wow, I just have access to a lot of things that that people don't. Um, it feels like we're talking about exactly the same thing. And by definition of of the word, we are. But it's in these, like you're talking about, it's in these different environments. Um, and and it, and it it takes on a. a Completely different feel a different meaning a different. There's a different heart to it Um, And so so it's really it's complex. Um, It's very complex
0: And so I I think it's it's almost like so you wrote this piece so Mm in January 2020 it gets published right awesome piece It's doing its thing and then fast forward we get to May And in a year that was already stressful, you obviously were in China, (laughs) like COVID. Although us being in the US, I don't even know if it's, we're talking about China, but the US is figuring out something that looks like a response. The China virus was just getting
1: started. (laughs) Right.
0: Um, (laughs) You know, we fast forward to May and then we have what seems like a world that was already teetering and was actually on fire in some places already. And yeah. we have the murder of George Floyd, and so yeah. then you write you write this other piece yeah. about what do what do I tell my son? And the fact mm-hmm. that you've already mentioned you know you have a, a daughter who's of Asian descent, you have a son who is black, and yeah. what was it like for you to sort of write that piece and and particularly as someone who does not share the same identity as your son? What where, where were right. you kind of mentally in that space?
1: It was it was a whirlwind. Uh, it was one of those moments. As, as there's a lot of insecurity that goes into being a, a white father um, raising children of color. Uh, and uh, am I doing the right thing? Am I helping them understand their heritage? What is their heritage? You know, like we we have limited access to to where they come from. Although some things we know, but also as, as we think about how they interact with and are going to interact with the world for the rest of their lives, are we doing enough? Are we, uh, th- this is their formative time. This is the time that, that things are being built into them that are going to last for the rest of their lives. So are we, are we doing enough? And so when George Floyd was murdered, uh, I, um, my son was 10 years old at the time and he's, he's got a very sensitive heart. He, he just always has. And that, that comes out in a lot of different ways. Uh, but I, I wanted to have a conversation with him. So I, I remember we were sitting in a taxi and, um, I think I had pulled something up on my phone about it. And, uh, and I said, son, we, we need to have this talk. And, and I had this conversation and his, his initial response was, it, it kind of caught me off guard because it just wasn't what I expected his his first thought was, was empathy for the police. Um, because that's, that's how it hit him. Like the world must hate him. And I was like, yeah. And then he, and then he just kind of processed and he, uh, and I'm looking at that thinking, what do I do with that? Right. Like, am I Mm going to set my black son up? Um, like, is he going to jump to the white side of this? it like what's that going to do for him in his future and i was just freaking out but it was just him processing it was just him um really feeling empathy for all of the players in it um and then it sunk in like then it hit uh, not only that that george floyd was killed but that he was black and that my son was also black and i just kind of watched it sink in um and he, he threw a couple things out there and he and it got it, it, it didn't get uncomfortable, but it was like he, he was starting to get uncomfortable with it. So I just I just pulled back a little bit and and mm-hmm. let him process. Um, and then he said something about a video game, which is 10 years old. That's what he does. Right. Like, I want to get this game. And I'm like, yeah. And then he and he said um, he said that I, sometimes I just feel like everybody hates me. Um, and and I thought it was I thought we had moved on. Like I thought we had skipped over the going video game. I thought we we're just kind of processing where he's at right now. And I'm like, okay, I can, like, I can empathize with that. I've been there. And I'm like, yeah, son, I like, I, I feel like that too. And, and he said, yeah, but you're not black. And, and it was just like, right. Like it, right. it that, that right. absolutely blew me away. And, um, and I did, I just stopped and kind of, kind of paused in that. And, um, and recognize the reality of that is that even though uh, he is being raised in our family, even though we're in China and we're not in, in right in the middle of a lot of the the racial issues of his passport country, um, there, there are things that he's carrying inside of him that that I want him to be able to understand more. And I am not the person to unpack that for him. I, I, I am not the teacher here. Uh, I'm, I'm the learner. And so it, it really, my, my hope was at the, the thing that came out of that experience was this hope that I can hold that posture, um, mm-hmm. that in this, in this racial conversation, especially in the wake of George Floyd and the the racial tensions that are, are just heightening and, and, are just stirred up like they've existed for so long. Um, and we've, my, my, my demographic has just kind of walked through that, um, ignoring a lot of it and not seeing so much of it. Um, but now the stakes are high because I'm raising this kid who is, is gonna, I'm going to launch him out in this, into this world. Um, and he's got this whole piece that I do not understand and I can't understand. And as I was, um, as I was writing this piece, Uh, I sat down with him again and I I said, buddy, I, i I want to write this piece. And, um, and I, and I think it could be helpful for a lot of people like me who are, who are trying to understand and maybe don't understand. And, um, maybe they could have some insight into how you feel. Uh, and he was like, yeah, of course, dad, like, um, I was getting his permission. He's like, of course you can write it. But dad, he said, you can, you can teach me about, um, about black history. Uh, and, and and then he said, even though I, I already know most of it, um, and he said, and and, and you can, you can teach me about, about white history, even though I I already know most of that too. Um, but he said, but you can't teach me what it feels like to be black. And, uh, and I was like, buddy, you are so absolutely right. Um, and I want to learn from you. I want to, I want to, um, I I want to hear your heart on that. Um, And so I think in that moment and through that experience, um, I became a learner from my son. My son is my teacher on and it's a different experience, right? He's not growing up in a in an underprivileged neighborhood. He's not uh, he doesn't have the same experience that a lot of children of color do, um, but he knows what it feels like to be black. And he knows what it feels like to be black in an expat experience and in a cross-cultural experience. And, and all of the nuances of who he is and how he identifies and will identify uh, are a training ground for me. And, and I want to come in uh, with a posture of humility and willingness to, to learn about that. Um, and there are some things that I understand about it that he doesn't understand yet. And I have a responsibility to, uh, to walk with Mm -hmm. him in that and to, to help him see that, but I'm not the teacher of how, what it feels like to be black.
0: And I think that's a powerful statement because, you know, we're starting to see a number of families who have adopted black children who are expats, who they themselves are not black. And you know, and I, which is why I appreciate your willingness to even come on and talk about some of mm-hmm. these things, because who do you, you know, right. I mean, I you could probably speak to this. Who do you talk to if in your case, you didn't come from an expat family, a mobile family, you came from a probably, you know, pretty similar in terms of people with similar backgrounds, right. expectations, whatever you decide to go international, now you've got kids who don't look like you, <laughs> right, right. Who, who, who may be having different experiences for you. And, and I think that a lot of families who are in that position may not always necessarily know how to approach talking about race right. particularly if they're coming from countries and it isn't just the United States i mean sure. there's part of the part of the 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 protests and riots that happened in France was due to the murder of a young man i believe in 2018 or so mm-hmm. by the police and and there's been a history there and the uk has got its own story right. and the netherlands and whatnot but how do you as parents like because we always talk about with black families the talk mm-hmm. you know there's the t- and and you you know at least yeah, you right. understand what the talk is the the, the talk that, yeah. <laughs> that black parents have with black children
1: right, right. and
0: at least in the united states mm-hmm. so i'm i'm even wondering in this conversation with him it almost seems like you're starting to have some version
1: right. of the talk because <laughs> yeah yeah sure. Yeah. Um and, and and that's where uh I think through this experience uh, again it's it's so convoluted because there are there are these not competing but there are these different narratives and growing up in China absolutely racism exists in China. Mm-hmm but it doesn't have the same backstory as the racism <laughs> in the United States. And, and so we've got these two, two parts of his identity that, that are there. Um, one of them, he has been growing up in the other one, we're, we're back to for now, and we're, 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 figuring all of that out. But, um, uh, but to be able to, recognize the challenges of that and to try to, to speculate and and to figure out what, what is it that he's going to need uh, as he grows into an adult, as he thinks about engagement with whatever cultures he engages, engages with Um, uh, like, what, what do I need to offer him as we move forward? That's, that's really, really challenging. And so I, I'm trying to, uh, Take it with humility. But I, a lot of times I, I just catch myself, um, speaking again, as if I'm some type of expert on this and, and I have to pull back from that. And, uh, and, and I think letting mm-hmm. him know that I want to be a learner, right? Like letting him know that I, mm-hmm. I don't have all of the answers on this. Um, But I do want to I do want to have him connected to people who who can speak into that, who can Mm -hmm. teach him uh, what it feels like for Mm -hmm. them to be black or for them Mm -hmm. to be a person of color and uh, of. You know, whatever that is and wherever that is, because there are so many different experiences. And I think that's one of the privileges that he has is access to people from all over the world with a lot of different experiences. And my hope is that all of that builds this beautiful mosaic of understanding that helps him to engage the world uh, in, a, in a way that that I didn't have access to. Um, I hope that he gets a privilege that mm. that I don't have.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it would be awesome if I could ever get myself together, just this community of TCKs yeah, of color yeah, to sort sure. of talk through, especially my own experiences and talking to TCKs who are younger than me, but have been, mm-hmm. you know, 20s and 30s now and and, and and sort of their experiences, especially when they engage with the cultures that are their passport
1: yeah. nations, yeah. right?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, because you're right, I think that part of it is for all of us, it isn't just the individual, the family, but as many people who can kind of speak and understand to the uniqueness of it, I think is a support. And it's interesting to me, you know, I graduated from high school a while ago, apparently, Uh, (laughs) but but even talking to TCKs now, and I'm, I'm still, I'm doing all this speaking and I'm like, how is this stuff still an issue? Like right,
1: right. <laughs> 22 yeah.
0: years later, like, especially we're still not teaching or preparing or having these honest conversations about if these kids, for example, are international schools and they're launching back into the U S or Canada, wherever they're going, we're still not talking about race. Right. We're still right, not talking right. about it like <laughs> this many years later. And I'm right. still hearing the same challenges. And so, um, you're right. I don't. I don't think there's any one answer, but I do think that the fact that you approach it with humility uh, is important. And I think that for the families who do hear this and and are trying to figure out their way, um, I hope that that's an encouragement. Because yeah, good. yeah, yeah no I, one no I, I one mean, has the perfect answer. <laughs>
1: yeah. Not at all. And it's and it's such a like humility yeah. is such a a loaded concept, right? Like a, a humility. I'm really good at humility when I have the space and time to stop and think and, and say, okay, what, what this situation needs here is humility, but it's not my muscle memory, right? Like it's not what comes out in the, in the moment. We had a, an experience in our last weeks in China. Um, and this was, this was another powerful experience. I haven't written about it yet and I may, I may not, I don't know. Um, it was the first time anything like this had happened in China. We were my son and I were taking a walk through a place that he's grown up like we've we've walked. There. It was kind of a touristy area. And um, so lots of people out walking around. I, I sat down um, for a moment and he ran up ahead. And this group of three Chinese people walked right by me, two men and a, and a woman. And so there's me, there's this group and there's my son up ahead and they see him. And, um, one of the guys kind of elbows his buddy and he yells out, Hey black. Uh, and they giggle and they laugh and they, and I came unglued. Um, I like, I jumped out of my seat and I got about three feet behind them and walked. I was basically breathing down their neck, my son. Like you could just see his face um, like he and this was after the George Floyd thing. He's processing what does all this mean? He's he's processing racism, but apart from the big narrative and in China and trying to figure all of that out. So he circles um, he circles back around to me and he kind of sees me steaming and he's like, Dad, I kind of want to punch that guy in the face. Uh, And and I I said, yeah, he might get punched in the face. Um, and he looks up at me. Um, and, and I don't know if they speak any English. I don't know what's going on. Um, but he looks up at me and, and you could see this. And my, my son, who's like, I I, I told you, like, he's a, he's a passionate kid, um, on all the spectrums. Like he doesn't do anything halfway. And so if he's angry, you're going to feel it. Um, if if he's loving, you're going to feel loved. Like you have never felt loved in your life. Um, but he looks at me and I just watch his entire demeanor change. And he was like, dad, it, it's all right. It's all right. Um, and so like, he, he talked me down and I'm a nice guy, Amanda. Like I really am. I'm not a, I'm not a fighter. (laughs) I've had dinner
0: with you. I, I I know.
1: I know. I've,
0: I, I mean, I been, know I'm not a nice person, but I know you are. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I just threatened to hit many people with a brick, so I know I'm
1: <laughs> not a nice person. Well, but I'm yes, thankful you to are. not be one of those yet, um, <laughs> unless you've done it secretly. But, but I, like I don't, I don't go looking for fights. I don't. I've been in one good physical fight in my life, and it was so justified, and it was so like it was so the right thing to do. But I, I'm not the guy who who fights. Um, but but I would have punched this guy. And I, and I felt this rage inside of me. Be, and, and I teach this stuff. Like, I understand that there were different dynamics. I understand that he didn't carry with him. this. He didn't carry with him, George Floyd, like he'd seen that in the news, but that wasn't his racism. He was just, um, showing off for the the two friends around him. He was showing off this one English word that he knew. And it was, it was joking. So it was like, all of the volume was turned down on all of the really racial issues, but it stirred something in me and it triggered something in me that, um, that I can only describe as rage. And for me, it was this, it was this huge, huge moment of like, wow, I I, I can see it now um, because I haven't had 400 years of that cranked up you know ten thousand times that yeah. and i I haven't experienced yeah. this was a sampling this was a tiny, tiny, tiny right. little taste, and it stirred something in me that I didn't like and that i I didn't feel like I was in control of and and it was just like the lights went on for a moment and and it was like, okay, all right um i I have a lot of learning and listening to do, and there's a long way to go, yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for, for sharing that because you're right. I think when we see the end of something, we think it's that thing and it doesn't right. matter what it is, yeah. you know,
1: good or yeah. bad or whatever, yeah, so much.
0: but you don't see, you don't see the back history and you don't see <laughs> the story that comes with it. And right. so um, I can definitely relate to that and, and, yeah. and just, you know, and I think also the parental instinct as well is to always protect your child. Of and course, when people yeah. come at your child, you're ready to to brawl. Unless you're me, right. who does not have children, but we'll just brawl anyway. Right. Uh, right. You know, it, it, it is what it is. But <laughs> You throw oh bricks. Oh my gosh. I'm glad I know that now. I throw, <laughs> you man. And I'm the calm one. Y'all haven't met my sister. My sister's that legit crazy. Y'all, it's because she found Jesus. Y'all don't even understand. Like you, seriously. Like, <laughs> don't matter whether you're religious or not, you should be thankful that my sister has Christ in her life. Because she's the one who used to fight for real, <laughs> like yeah. all the time. <laughs> Luckily, she's married to a very calm man who kind of talks mm. her off that ledge. But my, yeah, my sister's the brawler. I'm, I'm, I'm the half brawler. She's the you're the yeah, half brawler. She, older, yeah, she's She'll, she'll, she'll do it for real. But oh my gosh, <laughs> thank you so much for coming oh, on. Thank you. Um, thank you for sharing your story and your experiences. You know, it's always it's always a good time to be had. It, um, is, and it is. This for been good for the people who don't know you've got this podcast diesel and Clooney. it's definitely going to be in the show notes yeah. um it is hilarious it's i can't even describe it sort of expat life just sort of
1: amusement all around <laughs> sort of with chris O'Shaughnessy. random, <laughs> random <laughs> thoughts about so, whatever comes up yeah
0: with, you and chris are a little crazy but um <laughs> but yeah thank you for coming coming into the chatter i might have you back on there's always yeah, so much you. that we could talk about so anytime anytime all right I The Global Chatter with the Black Expat is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is produced by Justin Williams. You can find the show wherever you get your podcast or follow us on our YouTube channel at The Black Expat Presents.